You hear a knock on the door and open it to find two friendly representatives from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as the Mormon Church. What will you say? Will you send them away without a Christian witness, or will you engage them in a meaningful and Christ-honoring conversation? If you desire the latter, may we suggest the book, Answering Mormon's Questions by Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson. Answering Mormon's Questions is available at the Utah Christian Research Center, 579 West Galena Park Place in Draper, Utah. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. What are the kingdoms of glory in the context of Mormonism? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Last week, we began looking at a conference message that was given by Dallin H. Oaks, first counselor in the first presidency. The title of his message was Kingdoms of Glory. If you'd like to look at the transcript of this talk, you can find it in the November 2023 edition of the Leahona Magazine, and that's a monthly periodical that is published for adult members in The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, in last week's series, I was mentioning how this talk is really one of the few messages that you hear in General Conference where a leader targets a very unique doctrine within the LDS Church. But one of the things that he is going to try to accomplish in this message is show us from modern revelation or unique doctrine found in the LDS Church that differs from traditional Christianity. And of course, what Dallin Oaks is going to try to do is show the superiority of the LDS teaching over that which Christians have believed for centuries. He divides it up into four Roman numerals, and we're going to begin today with Roman numeral number one. We talked about it last week, but we felt it would be important to do a little bit of a recap here. How does he begin Roman numeral one in his talk, Eric? From modern revelation, we know that the ultimate destiny of all who live on the earth is not the inadequate idea of heaven for the righteous and the eternal sufferings of hell for the rest. God's loving plan for his children includes this reality taught by our Savior, Jesus Christ. Quote, in my Father's house are many mansions, end quote. Now let's, let's stop there because notice he makes it very clear. This is in modern revelation. It is not something that you're going to regularly understand by reading the New Testament, even though he's going to cite John 14, 2, in my Father's house are many mansions. Now, what do they mean when they say that? Well, it's not taken the way most people have understood Jesus to speak. He's looking at this as being destinations of glory. That's what he's talking about. Notice, though, his little dig, Eric, that modern revelation that they have shows that they don't believe in the inadequate idea of heaven for the righteous and the eternal sufferings of hell for the rest. 
I would say that he could probably draw that conclusion only because he ignores a lot of his own scripture. I mean, the Book of Mormon does talk about the sufferings of hell for the rest. You just have to ignore that language and try to gloss over it as if it doesn't really mean what those words meant at the time Joseph Smith gave us the Book of Mormon. But then he goes on to say the revealed doctrine of the restored Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints teaches that all the children of God, with exceptions too limited to consider here, will ultimately inherit one of three kingdoms of glory, even the least of which surpasses all understanding. What we brought out last week is the erroneous assumption that Latter-day Saints are told to have, including Dallin Oaks, where he teaches that all humankind are the literal children of God. And in last week's show, we went through a lot of the verses in the New Testament that debunk that idea. I don't have time to go through them all individually in this series, but very quickly we looked at John 1, 12. We looked at Romans 8, 14 and 16, Romans 9, verse 8, Galatians 3, 26, and 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Those passages make it very clear to the reader that if you are to be a child of God or a son of God, you must have faith in Jesus Christ. That is not the idea that is taught in the LDS Church. All humans are the literal children of God, and that we all existed in what Mormons call the pre-existence as spirit children. Now, going on in this talk, Oaks is going to talk about another unique doctrine and practice of the restored church. He says another unique doctrine and practice of the restored church is the revealed commandments and covenants that offer all the children of God the sacred privilege of qualifying for the highest degree of glory in the celestial kingdom. That highest destination, exaltation in the celestial kingdom, is the focus of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Bill, in this, he does talk about the restored church, whereas through the rest of the article, he pretty much sticks to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which he mentions in the previous paragraph, he mentions at the bottom of this paragraph, he has it in the a paragraph after that. So here, he uses restored church, but I thought that Russell M. Nelson, the 17th president of the church, said that we were not supposed to talk about the church unless we're going to use the name of Jesus Christ in it. How is it that he's able to just say, restored church, I guess with the assumption that it's talking about Jesus Christ, but how is LDS church not having the assumption that Jesus Christ is included in that as well? Well, you, you bring up a very interesting dilemma, and that is, we know that Russell M. Nelson, his pet peeve was always call it by its proper name, which comes from Doctrine and Covenants, section 115. Now, setting aside the fact that the church was known as the Church of the Latter-day Saints for four years of its history between 1834 and 1838, Russell M. Nelson goes so far as to say that Satan gets a victory and Jesus is offended when you don't use the proper name. You bring up an interesting point here because above, in, on this column, on page 26, he says the revealed doctrine of the restored Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints teaches. Then below, he says, another unique doctrine and practice of the restored Church. I think you're right, Eric. Why does an LDS leader get a pass for referring to it as the restored church without using Jesus and or Christ? 
but we can't use LDS to describe that same entity. And you know what? He's probably thinking in his mind as he put this together that that would be too redundant. Well, our point is made because it almost sounds like we're mocking when we continually use the full name of the church. And we can't call the name of the church the Church of Jesus Christ because we don't believe that. So we would have to use the whole 47 keystroke name, the full name of the church. It sounds redundant. But Okay, so what is the rule? You're allowed to use restored church without referring to Jesus Christ? You could have easily said restored church of Jesus Christ. We might be nitpicking. They, a Latter-day Saint might say, you're making too much of it. Well, I think Russell M. Nelson is making too much of it himself. I would agree with you totally. I think it's silly. I, I've said that more than once. I will continue to say that. And if you're a Latter-day Saint and you think we're trying to be disrespectful because we're not going to use the proper name of the church every time we reference it, let me just tell you something. When I was editing last week's show, I made it a point to call the church by its proper name a number of times in one of the shows in particular. And as I was editing it, even I thought, oh my goodness, it sounds like I'm mocking them because I'm using that long title of their church every time. That's why we're not going to do it here, folks. It was no problem for Gordon B. Hinckley. It was no problem for past leaders before Russell M. Nelson. We're not disrespecting them. We just don't have the time to do it that way, and we don't want to sound like we're mocking people. But I think that you raise a good point. Why is it okay to use restored, but you can't use LDS? This is a rule that they made up, not us. We're just going by what they have said. Now, getting back to the context of this paragraph, he says, All the children of God are given the sacred privilege of qualifying for the highest degree of glory in the celestial kingdom. According to Mormonism, the highest level in the celestial kingdom is known as the Church of the Firstborn. Now, whether a lot of Latter-day Saints know that or not is really irrelevant, but you know that's what they're shooting for. In fact, even Dallin Oaks says that highest destination, exaltation in the celestial kingdom, is the focus of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So when they talk about exaltation, they are talking about the member qualifying for the highest degree of glory in the celestial kingdom. Now, what happens in the other two levels in the celestial kingdom? I don't have a clue. I don't know. I can't recall hearing any leader really talk about the specifics of what goes on in those two lower levels. Now, there's been some hints that, well, that's where those who didn't qualify to become gods and became angels are going to serve the others who did qualify to be gods. Well, I guess we can assume then that's where Moroni is going to be, because Moroni appeared at an, as an angel to Joseph Smith, so are we to assume that Moroni was doing something or perhaps not doing enough to qualify for the highest level in the celestial kingdom? I'm going to take it one step further. I don't think much has been ever said about what's going to happen in the celestial kingdom. I mean, where's Jesus going to be? Where's God going to be? What kind of kingdom are you going to have? When's the last time you heard a general conference talk that mentions anything specifically about what the celestial kingdom will be like. I'll give you one, eternal increase. Oh boy, I've talked to a lot of Latter-day Saint males who know all about eternal increase. That's the procreative act that they feel they will be able to perform 
after they eventually get to the celestial kingdom because they're going to have to create offspring that are eventually going to be going down to their world that they reorganize just like heavenly father reorganized matter to create the world that we are now living on but eternal increase assumes that you're creating new seed well, what about your children and all the others that are part of your family? I thought families are forever. They don't talk about the impossibility of being able to be with your family forever if everybody is going to be in their own realm or their own worlds or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, even though they use language like those in the celestial kingdom are going to be in the presence of God the Father and Jesus the Son, it almost gives you the impression that, well, you're going to feel their presence, but are you really going to be in their presence? And that's the language that's used, that you're in the presence of the Father and the Son. How does that work if everyone gets their own world that they are allowed to populate? And LDS leaders have been very clear that that is one of the perks of ending up in the celestial kingdom. I think there might be some Latter-day Saints who listen to this general conference talk kingdoms of glory, and before even hearing this, we're thinking, okay, well, maybe he is going to tell us a little bit more about what happens in the three different kingdoms. Well, you're going to be disappointed because he says very little about anything specific. It's all general things that we've heard about before. In tomorrow's show, we're going to look again at what Dallin Oaks means when he talks about all the children of God having the sacred privilege of qualifying for the highest degree of glory in the celestial kingdom. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.